brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. graphic designer? How about an illustrator or a photographer? This is Rainy Roberts and I wanted to tell you how you can get my designer, illustrator, husband, Scotty Roberts to work for you on your project. Do you have an awesome self-published book but no cover or even worse, a cover that really sucks? Do you need a kick-ass logo for your company or some f***ing awesome graphic designs for your ads or website? Then get in touch with my husband for the best f***ing awesome kick-ass design and illustration. He knows his stuff and he's been at this for more years than I've been alive. Go to scottallenroberts.com. That's Scott with two T's, A-L-A-N-R-O-B-E-R-T-S dot com. To take a look at his online portfolio of work or call 651-468-8115. Now go out and kick some ass with some kick-ass graphic design. Hi, I'm my dad. So he can take me to Disneyland. Scotty Roberts, Intelligent Talk. 
Yeah, that's the kind of projection we don't want to see, Professor Bauer, over there in the chat room. Um, We won't even talk about that tonight. Welcome, folks, to the program. This is Scotty Roberts. You're watching my show, The Intrepid Radio Program. We are technically in our 20th year, 21st year, but it's been off and on, up and down, different shows, all different kinds of things. Uh, But I want to welcome you to the program. And uh, you can see this program or listen to it in its audio format over on the radio station. That's over at odysseyradio.com. Odyssey spelt a little differently, O-D-Y-S-Y radio.com. And you can see this in simulcast in video in four different places. Three of them over on my YouTube or on uh, Facebook, my Facebook page, Odyssey Radio Facebook page, Intrepid Radio Facebook page, and in my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Mr. No, take off the Mr. Slash Scotty Roberts. And if you're just listening to the audio, you can come on over and join the chat room as well. We welcome you. The Intrepid family is over there right now, starting to talk up a storm. Hey, everybody that's over there gathering in the chat room. Some of you I didn't see in the pre-show. Morgan Snow. Uh, I saw Master Finn is in here. And Professor Bauer. Welcome, everybody, and everybody that's gathering over there. Go check out all the different destinations where this show is playing. Unless you're satisfied sitting right where you are, then you're okay. All right, uh, if you're in my YouTube channel, give it a thumbs up. Uh, that helps our uh, our ratings over at YouTube. And at the same time... Uh, subscribe to the channel, and if you'd like, you can even join the channel. That'll cost you a couple of bucks here and there, but you can go click the join button down below the window and see what that's all about. So thank you, everybody, for showing up. Thanks for being here. Next week, I am going to have Sarah Soderlin, our favorite of ours, very dear friend of mine for many years now. I can say many. And um, uh, she is going to talk with us more about astral projection and OBDs, uh, out-of-body experience, OBEs, OBD, OAS, uh, CIF, CIA, whatever. So she's going to talk to us in more detail from somebody who has really personal experience with it. I have never been an astral projector, as far as I know. Uh, If it has been, it's involuntary and it's been out of body. But I don't recall any times doing that, unless you could consider my experience in Egypt where I say I had what I call or refer to as the vision that I had in Egypt. And you all know that story, and those of you who don't will tell it again sometime, I'm sure. But uh, it was just for a few seconds where I'm sitting in the ruins of an old courtyard right next to the stepped pyramid of Dozier in Saqqara. And that courtyard all transformed right in front of my face. I could see priests. I could see the courtyard was clear. Everything was rebuilt as if it was new. There were torches lit. I could feel the breeze in the late afternoon shade of the sun slanting down over the tops of the temples. And I could hear the chanting. I could smell the incense. Was that an out-of-body experience? Was it astral projection? I don't know. Sarah Soderlin is going to help answer those questions for us next week when we'll revisit this topic after tonight. Tonight I'm going to give you kind of a primer about astral projection. And the primer being 
the things I don't know about astral projection, a little bit of the history of it. I've got all that in front of me here. We're going to talk about this a little bit. Um, Morgan Snow said, that's the one that blinded me. Oh, you're talking about something else. (laughs) I only shave one set of cheeks, Morgan Snow, says uh, Professor Bauer. That must be what she's talking about, the blinding. Yes, uh, I fell in love with her the first night I saw the glistening of the moon sparkling off the barrel of her father's highly polished double-barreled shotgun. (laughs) A line, kind of a line from... uh, an old, uh, who did uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein or somebody else did the uh, the Music Man? Whoever did that one. That's a line from that movie, kind of. That play. Not that that's neither here nor there, but there you go. Uh, I don't shave any cheeks, says Uncle Dave Potter, who has a beard going down to his navel. As far as I can tell from the outside, I don't ask to look and double check, my ver- uh, have my facts verified, but there it is. Uh, by the way, thank you for joining us on Sunday when we had Ruben Fasthorse on. It was rather impromptu. Uh, he played his flute, his Native American flute. He's had that for decades. And uh, also uh, sang some Native American songs for us. And uh, we talked a little bit and uh, things we hadn't talked about before with Ruben. You'd think we've covered everything with him, and we really haven't. And so uh, thank you for everybody who was there on Sunday. And remember, everybody, if you're new to the show or you didn't know about it, every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. sharp Central Standard Time, we do It's Sunday. We started that a couple of years ago, and it's Sunday with Scotty and Rainey. Now, uh, Rainey hasn't uh, been on quite as much lately because she's got so much going on, but she comes in and joins us as she's walking by, spends some time in here. Yeah, you'll have to check out Sunday mornings, Sarah over in the chat room. So let's talk a little bit about this whole astral projection thing. Now, astral projection, you might going, what is that? I kind of know about it. What is it? Leslie asked at the beginning, is it the same as an OBE, an out-of-body experience? Well, in a way, what I'm finding is that the difference is an OBE can happen to you whether you're trying to do it or not, Uh, An astral projection is a voluntary thing. So it's also known as astral travel. And it's a term that's used in esotericism. You all know what esotericism is. We talked about that so much. Uh, uh, Esotericism. Uh, It's sometimes the Western mystery tradition. And it's a term that scholars use to categorize a whole wide range of really loosely related ideas and movements that developed within Western society, and so Western esotericism. And it describes it as an intentional, a voluntary, a volitional out-of-body experience. Out-of-body experiences, therefore, are not volitional. They're not usually something that you plan to do. Uh, some of the, the, the OBEs that we hear about are, you know, people on the operating table, and they see the tunnel of light, and uh, there's my aunt and uncle, oh, my great-grandfather, my great-great-great-grandmother, all there greeting me. Those are out-of-body experiences, those types of things. They're not usually something that you're attempting to do or travel that you're trying to volitionally engage in with your mind. And so um, it's also called an astral body. Uh, it assumes that the existence of a subtle body called an astral body through which consciousness can function 
separately from the physical body and travel throughout the astral plane. Now, I know there have been some really... Uh, there's been a lot written about this, though I haven't studied it up so I know this topic inside and out. It's something, frankly, I will admit to you all, it's a little spooky, but at the same time, it's, it's something I'd like to try. So I'm going, I want to educate myself and see what I can do. I do know, uh, I've mentioned this before when we talked about other topics, there was uh, a friend of my mother's. My mother used to throw these uh, nice parties at her house every now and then, and somebody that she knew through her business came to the show, and she said, Scotty, you need to go talk to this guy. We'll call him Rick. I can't remember his name. And Rick was a very quiet guy, um, uh, middle-aged, and uh, um, we got to talking, and she said, you need to ask him about his, his whole astral uh, projection experiences. So I started talking to him. He told me that he had been involved with a uh, governmental uh, astral projection type of a program. Uh, and it was through the CIA. And he was talking a bit about it. He was a little close. He said, I couldn't talk about this for the longest time. Part of it was he was sworn to secrecy. He couldn't. He had to take an oath. Uh, the, Etienne Remy! Thank you. I, I never know. I never pronounce your name. So I see you over in the chat room. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it because I only type it. Good to see you, brother. Thanks for stopping into the chat room. And so in talking to this fellow, he was telling me about some of his experiences and the things that they would have you do. He said you'd always have somebody there with you to help pull you back if you get stuck. So, uh, quote unquote. Uh, he also talked about seeing things. And believing that when he was at places, astral projecting, that he could be seen from the people that he saw when he was there. Somebody shined their flashlight at him really quick, and he spooked and he left. Well, he eventually left that program. But uh, the idea of astral travel is ancient. Not just with our current CIA and governmental experiments, like uh, the men who who see goats or kill goats or talk with goats, whatever that was. So it occurs in multiple cultures. And the modern terminology of astral projection was coined and promoted by 19th century theosophists. You remember uh, uh, Madame uh, Blavinsky and the theosophy movement? This was something that she promoted. Now, it's sometimes reported in association with dreams, and forms of meditation. This is why I brought up my experience in Egypt of seeing the things that I saw. Was that an OBE, an out-of-body experience? Because I did not volitionally sit there and say, I want to travel to this place. I just happened to be sitting and it happened to me. That's why I've always categorized it as a vision. But it was so real and the elements were so real, I wonder if it was an out-of-body experience of some sort. Now, it's, it's associated with dreams, forms of meditation, and some individuals have reported perceptions that are similar to descriptions of astral, astral projection that were induced through various hallucinogenic, hypnotic means, self-hypnosis sometimes. And there's no scientific evidence that there is a consciousness whose embodied functions are separate from normal neural activity or that one can consciously leave their body and make observations of the physical universe. And astral projection has been characterized as 
a pseudoscience. So science doesn't put a whole lot into it. Uh, I've often wondered about, well, no, how often, I just wondered. It popped into my head. Remember I've told the story about uh, when I saw health self-hypnosis. Uh, I went to a psychologist, phys- uh, uh, therapist, psychological therapist, uh, and it's going through troubled marriage way back. We're talking almost 30 years ago now, 25 years ago. And she tried something where she used a pencil. And it was uh, kind of like this. And she would hold this pencil up. And she would just move, move it. I don't know if she went back and forth. She did something like this. She wanted me to focus on the pencil. She said, I'm not going to hypnotize you. She said, but I want you to concentrate. So it was a form of hypnosis. And I saw things and brought stuff up in that session that I didn't know were there. Feelings I didn't know were there. Emotions I didn't know were there. Was that astral projection of a type? Was I projecting myself back into the past? Uh, the reason, by the way, this whole topic came up is because of uh, uh, Professor Bauer and our conversation with Sarah and Professor Bauer and Dave Potter last uh, Friday night. And so our, these were things that we mentioned. And so there's different places where you'll see. I want to go into this just a little bit about, pardon the noise in the background, um, uh, children running around, small child running around. I got two away at camp. The 12-year-old boy is away at Boy Scout camp. The 10-year-old girl is away at uh, a Bible camp with friends of hers. And uh, um, the only one home is Ellery, the seven-year-old, and Rainy. They just came back from a bike ride, and so Ellery's frustrated about something. I don't know what. Seven-year-old frustration. She just yelled through the door, leave me alone. So I'm not doing anything to her. I'm just telling you, that's who's making the noise. So let's look at this, where some of these traditions come from with astral projection. Um, Madame Blavinsky, what did I call her? Did I call her something else? Dr. Blavinsky? (laughs) I don't know what I called her. Madame Blavinsky, yes. Did I say Blavatsky? Maybe I said the wrong name. Uh, When I was doing, when I wrote uh, the book on the reptilians um, and uh, um, the influence of the whole reptilian mode modus operandi, the thinking, the, 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 all of this. I got into the theosophist society a bit and started talking about it in great depth. Uh, so uh, pardon my, uh, my forgetting her name, Blavatsky, Madame Blavatsky, there it is. And so uh, in ancient Egypt, similar concepts of soul travel appear in various other religious traditions. Uh, teachings in ancient Egypt represent the soul, the Ba, as having the ability to hover outside the physical body, which, or, or the Ka, the subtle body, it talks about. And uh, the Ba hovers above the Ka uh, at the time of death when it has to present itself. So is this astral projection according to ancient Egyptian uh, religion. Judaic and Christian origins, there were... Uh, uh, Researchers like Carrington, Muldoon, Peterson, who you don't really need to know much about them at this point, just naming them so you know they're there and you can go back and find them in the archive of this show if you want to look them up. Uh, They claim that the subtle body is attached to the physical body by means of a psychic silver cord. 
silver cord. This is, this comes from ancient Grecian mythology as well. So the final chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, <clears throat> we read many parts of Ecclesiastes on the show within the last couple of years, uh, talking about that this is the book of Solomon that he wrote, not the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, which is very sexual overtones and his love letter and so on and so forth, which we read that in entirety because it's easy to do in about 20 minutes. But uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is where he starts, all things are vain, all things are empty. Uh, And I've learned in my life, I've tried everything that is worth trying and I can't do anything. And uh, so the final book of the book of Ecclesiastes is often cited in this respect. It says this, Before the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be shattered at the fountain, or the wheel be broken at the cistern. That's the way he was introducing his topic in the final chapter, uh, the, the exact thread of his topic he was talking about. Now, Sherman, however, contends that the context points to this being merely a metaphor for human life, comparing the body to a machine, the silver cord being the spine. Um, He talks about the grinder, when the grinders stop working. He's talking about the teeth, things like that. But if you go to the New Testament, look at the writings of Paul. Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, named himself an apostle because of his experience. Many believe that he <coughs> excuse me, actually hijacked Christianity at its early stage and was presenting a Herodian Christianity in opposition to, say, Peter, who was presenting the Jewish Christianity and so on. And all these different, there were four major ones that were going on at the time. But Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians is more generally agreed to refer to the astral planes because he was talking about his own experience. (coughs) Excuse me. Remember when Paul had his conversion experience? If you went to church or Sunday school and you heard this stuff, to me it seems like commonplace because I went to church, I went to Bible high school, I went to Bible college, I went to seminary. I was in ministry. So when I talk about Paul's conversion experience, of course, I'm falling back on stuff I know really well. Uh, maybe you've never heard of that, but Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, uh, his given name, he was persecuting Christians. He had documents in his pouch that he was taking to Damascus to uh, persecute the Christians, put them to death. And uh, he was riding his horse with his troop of men, and he was struck down, according to his own account, by a bright light shining out of heaven. And he falls to the ground, and he hears a voice in his own account that says, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he's like, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. This is Saul's story. And then he's blinded for a few days. He has to, his men have to take him to meet with some other Christians who heal his eyes. And he's given a new name, Paul. He changes his name to Paul. So, But all of that background for him, he's talking about his experience. 
in 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. And he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Only God knows. That's his account. Now, this statement gave rise to the viso poli, a tract that offers a vision of heaven and hell. It was a forerunner of the visions that were attributed to Adamon, Adamnan, and uh, Tenugla. Some of these names, they're missing vowels. Tenugdalus, as well as Dante's Divine Comedy, referred to Paul's vision and how Paul spoke about his own vision. Vision. Hey, Patch Malone and Susie Q over in the chat room. Thank you for joining in. I appreciate it. Diana Atkinson, good to see you. Glad you're here tonight. Over in the chat room, over on the YouTube channel, folks. For those of you listening on the radio show, on the radio station, just in audio format, you can come and uh, join the chat room over on that channel or some of the YouTube channels. Let's look at Western esotericism again, now that we've covered uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, It's called the body of light. According to the classical, the medieval, the Renaissance hermeticism, the Neoplatonism, later the Theosophist, the Rosicrucian thought, the astral body, that body that is separate from the physical body, is an intermediate body of light. It links the rational soul to the physical body, while the astral plane is an intermediate world of light between heaven and earth. And it's composed of the spheres of the planets and the stars. It's getting very astrological at this point. And these astral spheres were held to be populated by angels, by demons, by spirits, and entities of all sorts. You talk to some people who have done their astral projection, and they're going to talk about some of these things that exist. They may have different descriptions of them, but they mention these things. In the Neoplatonism of, uh, of Platonius, for example, the individual is a microcosm, or a small world, if you will, of the greater universe, the macrocosm of the great world. And so the rational soul is akin to the great soul of the world, while the material universe, like the body, is made as a faded image of the intelligible. So each succeeding plane of manifestation is casual or causal to the next. And it's a worldview known as emanationism. Emanate, think of the word emanate. It's emanationism. And from one proceeds intellect. From intellect, soul. And from soul in its lower phase, or that of nature, the material universe. So the idea of astral figured prominently in the works of the 19th century French occultist uh, Eliphas Levi. Uh, Once it was adopted and it was developed further by theosophy and used afterward by all these other esoteric movements. And in a sense, when we talk about the the memoirs of uh, Marcus Aurelius, um, his, uh, not his memoirs, uh, why am I blanking on the word? You know what I mean? When we're talking about Marcus Aurelius, all his writings, he refers to in his Stoic philosophy about the gods and about this other world and the things that exist out there. And I think he could very well be referring to some of this. 
the meditations, I'm sorry, that was the word. I had the M in my head, and I couldn't get the word out. Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. So, <clears throat> hey, Rudy Dog, good to see you. Dog Rudy Kessler. Uh, so, the subtle bodies and their associated planes of existence form this essential part of some esoteric systems that deal with astral phenomena, including all the spirits and the angels and the devils and the demons and all these things that have been identified as existing with the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets in this astral plane. So often these bodies and their planes of existence are depicted as a series of concentric circles or nested spheres that all kind of intersect at places with a separate body traversing each realm that can travel through each realm. That's Western esotericism. What about Hinduism? This is where when you think of meditation, transcendentalism, you think of uh, spirit travel and things like that, you think, my mind always goes to Eastern tradition. So what does uh, Hinduism have to say about it? There's these similar ideas such as the Linga Sariya, if I'm saying that right, Sarira, are found in ancient Hindu scriptures such as uh, the Yoga Veshita. Uh, the the Maharamaya, easy for me to say, the Maharamaya Ana, the Maharamaya Ana, Maharamaya or the Valmiki. Uh, so there you go, you can figure that one out. So modern Indians, uh, dot no feather, as Reuben would say, uh, modern Indians who vouched for astral projection include Paramanahansa Yoganada. You know, it's not, it can't just be Bob Johnson. It's Paramahanasa Yogananda, who witnessed Swami Parabananda. <laughs> Sorry, folks, for butchering these Indian names. Doing a miracle through, at least it is not the Bababji, um, doing a miracle through a possible astral projection. And the Indian spiritual teacher, Mayor Bamba, uh, described one's use of astral, astral projection like this. This is a quote from him. He said, In the advancing stages leading to the beginning of the path, the aspirant becomes spiritually prepared for being entrusted with free use of the forces of the inner world of the astral bodies. He may then undertake astral journeys in his astral body, leaving the physical body in sleep or wakefulness. The astral journeys that are taken unconsciously are much less important than those undertaken with full consciousness and as a result of deliberate volition. There it is again. It's a volitional, it's a deliberate, it's something that you choose to do. It's voluntary. And this implies conscious use of the astral body, he goes on. Conscious separation of the astral body from the outer vehicle or the gross body as they refer to it. Has its own, it doesn't mean gross like we use, not gross, so gross. Uh, the gross, the overall, the, the physical. Uh, has its own value in making the soul feel its distinction from the gross body and in arriving at fuller control of the gross body. One can, at will, put on and take off the external gross body as if it were like a cloak, an invisibility cloak, whoosh, from Harry Potter. It's gone. And use the astro a cloaking device for you, Stuart, uh, uh, over in the chat room. Uh, not Romulan, however. 
Uh, one can at will put on and take it off the gross body as if it were a cloak and use the astral body for experiencing the inner world of the astral and for understanding journeys through it, if and when necessary. So the ability to, he goes on, this is how he concludes his quote, the ability to undertake astral journeys, therefore, involves considerable expansion of one's scope for experience. It brings opportunities for promoting one's own spiritual advancement, which begins with the involution of consciousness. So astral projection in Hinduism is one of the siddhis, uh, considered achievable by yoga practitioners through self-disciplined practice. Uh, in, the ep- in the epic, the Mahabharata Drona leaves his physical body to see if his son is alive. So, <clears throat> according to Hinduism, this is something that takes great discipline to do. It's not something where we could all be sitting around having pints and maybe smoking a little weed or something. Hey, dude, let's do some astral projecting, man. It doesn't work that way. I think maybe you can. I don't know for sure. But from everything I'm gleaning, it's something that takes great discipline and great effort um, to get yourself to the plane where you can do that. In Taoism... Taoist alchem- uh, alchemical practice involves the creation of an energy body by breathing meditations, drawing energy into a quote-unquote a pearl that's then circulated. Xianzi, with a drum, as his pillow, fell fast asleep, snoring and motionless. His primordial spirit, however, went straight into the banquet room and said, My lords, here I am again! When Tweezy walked with the officials to take a look. There really was a Taoist sleeping on the ground and snoring like thunder. Yet inside, in the side room, there was another Taoist beating a fisher drum and singing Taoist songs. So the officials all said, although there are two different people, their faces and clothes are exactly alike. Clearly he's a divine immortal who can divide his body and appear in several places at once. Now, at that moment, the Taoist in the side room came walking out, and the Taoist sleeping on the ground woke up, and the two merged back into one. Boom! Right in front of their eyes. That's a tradition in Taoism. Japanese mythology, which is kind of... It's got that same form or feel of Eastern religions, just different, of course, in Japanese mythology, and Ikirio. Uh, also, you can pronounce it also shor, Shoryo or Seiri or Igidzumandama. It's a manifestation of the soul of a living person separately from their body. You might think doppelgangers. I told you the other night that story of how Rainy came. I was upstairs and Rainy was, came in and she came downstairs and she saw me sitting at my desk and started talking to me. And she thought I answered her. Then she came up into the room and she said, I just saw you downstairs and was talking to you. I said, I've been up here the whole time. So uh, what was that? We don't know. Maybe it has nothing to do with this. Maybe it's a doppelganger. Maybe it was nothing. Maybe my wife was hallucinating. I doubt that, though. Um, So traditionally, if someone in the Japanese tradition holds a sufficient grudge against another person, it's believed that a part or a whole of their soul can temporarily 
leave their body and appear before the target of their hate in order to curse or otherwise harm them. It's kind of similar to the evil eye. Look into my evil eye. But souls are also believed to leave a living body when the body is extremely sick or comatose. Such uh, ikiryo aren't malevolent when that happens. And there's other traditions. There's American Indian traditions. If you talk in the, the Amazon, the Yaskomo of the Waiwai is believed to be able to perform a soul flight that can sever, severe, that can sever several functions. Sever several. There you go. Several functions such as healing, flying to the sky to consult cosmological beings, the moon or the brother of the moon, <coughs> to get a name for a newborn baby. Uh, they fly to the cave of Pecaris uh, in the Pecaris Mountains to ask the father of Pecaris for abundance of game or flying deep down a river to get in the help of other beings. The Inuit. In some Inuit groups, people with special capabilities known as Angakuk. <laughs> Trying to get that Inuit uh, pronunciation. Angakukuk are said to travel to mythological remote places. And they report their experiences and their matters important to their fellows or the entire community that would be unavailable to people with normal capabilities, such as how to stop bad luck in hunting or cure a sick person and things like these. Um, Sarah Yusuf says, Pecaris are a type of wild boar. I didn't know that. There you go. Um, The expression, let's move back to astral projection and describing it. The expression astral projection came to be used in two different ways. For the Golden Dawn and some theosophists. Now, if you're not familiar with the Golden Dawn, um, it's the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And it was a secret society devoted to the study and practice of the occult, metaphysics, paranormal activities, during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And uh, it's a magical order. And, of course, theosophy. And it retained the classical and medieval philosophers' meaning of journeying to other worlds via astral projection. But outside these circles, the term was increasingly applied to non-physical travel around the physical world, meaning you could astral project and go somewhere else in the physical world around you, not just the cosmological or astral realms. And through this though this usage continues to be widespread, the term etheric travel, which is used some by later theosophists, often offers a really useful distinction. Some experience, experience, E-N-T-S, experiencers, let's call them, say that they visit different times and or places. This is where our discussion with Professor Bauer last week comes in. And Sarah, we were talking about the possibility of time travel through the mind or through astral projection. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit tonight in the after show. In the captain's cabin, uh, if you are, again, if you're new or familiar, not familiar with the show, right after the show ends on the radio station, we morph right over, we astral project over into the captain's cabin, one physical place to another. So uh, it's our gross bodies we take there, not our spiritual ones. So uh, um, there's this etheric 
is used to represent the sense of being out of the body and in the physical world. Whereas astral might connote some alteration in the time perception. Robert Monroe describes the former type of projection as locale one, or the here and the now. And it involves people and places that exist, meaning you could move yourself to places where other people are and you can experience them in an astral way. Robert Bruce calls it the real time zone, the RTZ, and describes it as the non-physical dimension level closest to the physical. This etheric body is usually, though not always, invisible, but is often perceived by the experient, the experiencer, as connected to the physical body during the separation by a silver cord, which, again, Solomon referred to in the book of Ecclesiastes, and, of course, your ancient Greek mythologies. So some link uh, falling dreams with projection. That's just like anecdotal. No information on that. So according to Max Heindel, the etheric double, our double self, our doppelganger in the spirit, I guess you could say, serves as a medium between the astral and the physical realms. And in his system, the ether, also called the prana, is the vital force that empowers the physical forms to change. And so from his descriptions, it can be referred that Uh, inferred that to him, him, not me, when one views the physical during an out-of-body experience, one is not technically in the astral realm at all. That's according to him. Now, other experiments might describe a domain that is no parallel to any known physical setting. Environmentalists may be populated or unpopulated. Not environmentalists, environments. Populated or unpopulated. Artificial, natural, abstract. And the experience might be beatific, spiritual. It might be horrific or neutral. And a common theosophical belief was that one may access this whole compendium of physical knowledge, mystical knowledge, called the Akashic Records, which many of us have heard about. And uh, so the Akashic records are accessible through your astral body. And in many accounts, the experiencer correlates the astral world with the world of dreams. And some even report seeing other dreamers enacting dream scenarios unaware of their wider environment. You think of that. You might be doing this through your dreams and not know it. But then that would be out of body, wouldn't it? That wouldn't be astral projection. Astral projection is voluntary something you do by an act of the will. The astral environment may also be divided into levels of subplanes by theorists, but there are many different views in all these different traditions concerning the overall structure of the astral planes. They might include heavens and hells and other after-death spheres, transcendent environments, or other less easily characterized states. Now, the thing about this, you hear people talk, and I, I see Psychics, uh, uh, people who are, for lack of a better, quicker description, New Age practitioners who will talk about these other planes and these other worlds. They'll talk about the spirits go here. They talk about pre-birth or pre-carnate existences in the heavens, or they'll even use the term heaven. 
Uh, they'll talk about uh, planning things and coming down. I'm going to live this kind of life in this life rather than the one I lived in the last life. And things like that, of that nature. To me, all of that, the jury has always been out because there's no way to qualify that or to quantify that other than listening to somebody's experience. Now, so what happens in astral projection? Maybe that's a step closer to being able to qualify it. For me, in my head, if I could experience that and know I'm not just dreaming or making up imagery in my head. I remember when I was going through the hypnosis session, the non-hypnosis hypnosis session with the uh, therapist. I would get things coming into my mind and I would start to laugh. And I'd say, she said, what are you laughing about? I said, this, it seems silly. Why is it bringing this imagery up? Am I, I'm dreaming. I'm somehow dreaming. You're not. Just go with it. So there's all kinds of notable uh, practitioners of this as well, of this astral travel. Uh, I can tell you a couple of them here. Emanuel Swedenborg. Swedenborg. He was one of the first practitioners to write extensively about the out-of-body experience in his spiritual diary. And he lived in the mid-1700s when he was writing this. Uh, French philosopher and novelist, Honor de Balzac, his fictional work, the works of Balzac. I used to have a whole set of his, his novels and things. It was a fictional work. Louis Lambert suggests that he may have had some astral or out-of-body experiences. And there are many 20th century publications on astral uh, projection, although only a few authors remain widely cited on these. Uh, Robert Monroe, Oliver Fox, Sylvan Muldoon, Harold Carrington and Ram, Y-R-A-M. You can look those guys up. If you're taking notes, <laughs> you've written it down. If not, you can go back and listen to the archive of this and pick up their names. Now, Robert Monroe's accounts of journeys to other realms in the late uh, mid mid 1700s. I'm sorry, the mid 1900s. All right, I'm going to start that all over again. Robert Monroe's accounts of journeys to other realms. In the 1970s, I was going to say the mid-1900s, and I was going to say the mid to late 1900s. Then I was going to say 1700s because it was 1970. There you go. There's my confusion. So the mid to late 1900s, he popularized the term OBE, out-of-body experience. And there, listen to this, Leslie, because you asked this question a bit earlier. Um, they were translated into a large number of languages, and through his books themselves... Uh, he only placed the secondary importance on descriptions of method. Monroe founded an institute that was dedicated to the research, the exploration, the nonprofit dissemination of auditory technology for assisting others in achieving projection and related altered states of consciousness. Now, <clears throat> all of this can fall under that altered state of consciousness. When I was in uh, Bible school and seminary and ministry, these were taboo things. You didn't do that because you opened your mind to the devil, is what they said. And I'm not mocking that. That's exactly what they told us. <clears throat> is that what it does? I think it depends on what you believe. Robert Bruce, William Bullman, Mar Marilyn Hughes, Albert Taylor, these are all people that have discussed their theories and findings and they've all been on coast to coast with Art Bell and then George Norrie talking about these things. Michael Crichton, 
who wrote the book, the most famous book we know, Jurassic Park, amongst many other books. He gave a lengthy and detailed explanation and experiences of astral projection in his nonfiction book, Travels. If you like Michael Crichton, you might want to pick that one up if you don't know of it. It's a nonfiction book. In her book, My Religion, Helen Keller, famous Helen Keller, tells of her beliefs in Swedenborganism and how she once traveled to Athens. She said this, Helen Keller said, I have been far away all this time and I haven't left the room. It was clear to me that it was because a spirit that I had so vividly seen and felt a place a thousand miles away. Space was nothing to spirit. I wonder if she could see in her astral projections. That'd be very interesting to know. The soul's ability to leave the body at will or while sleeping and visit all these various planes of heaven is known as soul travel. And there's all different kinds of places in Eastern religion you can look that up. I'm not going to get into that for time because we've only got a couple of minutes left before we're out of here. But scientific um, reception of this, I wanted to hit this There is no known scientific evidence that astral projection as an objective phenomenon even exists. Science will deny that this, as we describe it in kind of woo terms, exists at all. There's cases of patients having experiences suggestive of astral projection from brain stimulation treatments, hallucinogenic drugs, ketamine, uh, fencyclidine and DMT and all of these. And the main evidence, uh, we're told, to support claims of astral travel is anecdotal. And it comes in the form of testimonials of those who claim to have experienced being out of their bodies when they may have been simply out of their minds. So said Robert Todd Carroll in his take on it. And, uh, and all of these things, you can read this stuff. There's so many things to look at. Uh, so many books to look at, so many websites you can look at. Um, and we're going to cover this in more detail next week because we're going to talk to Sarah Soderlin, who has experience with this. And I would like to delve this even a little deeper. I want to get uh, not beyond Sarah. Sarah is very well, well-versed in all of this. Uh, we can't get her until next week. Maybe we'll get some other people in here as well. Uh, Professor Bauer says, science doesn't have the perspective required to measure it. Now, that's very true. That's it. You have a starting point, and your starting point is what drives your philosophy, or drives your terminology, or drives your theory, or lack of theory about something. I have very... Good night, Leslie Holker over in the chat room. Thank you for that. Um, And so... Um, what you believe tends to govern the way you see these things. But I always say, get outside your belief system and check it out. Get outside the box and research it and study it. Then you'll end up just like me, questioning everything. Diane Atkinson says, trippy. (laughs) What about deja vu experiences? Could it be astral traveling? Just a thought. Maybe some people say time loops that are caught on each other, they say. All right, folks, uh, before we go with the radio audience, I just put up some stuff. Some of you have heard these before. If you go to my website, scottallenroberts.com, 
If somebody would post that in the chat room, I'd appreciate it. Click on the link in the top menu. It'll say Exodus Reality Adventures. I have posted, finally, all the episodes we did when we were in Egypt. And uh, I think you'll enjoy those. It was John Ward, me, and Chris Conway, my medium friend from Scotland. And it's over in, uh, let's see if I can just get it for you here. Here it is. I'm going to post the link for you. Copy it. Let's go over here. I'll put it in here. If you want to listen to some good listening, that's about 10 to 11 hours worth of listening right there. And you can hear our experiences when uh, we spent about uh, 10 days going down the Nile uh, in Egypt. So, folks, that's it. If you're on the radio show over on the radio station, we got to leave you now. We're going to give you the end credits. If you're still here in the chat room, stay in the chat room. Stay in YouTube. And when we come back, we'll pick up with The Captain's Cabin. Live long and prosper. Join us every weeknight at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern. The Intrepid Radio Program, a Scotty Roberts Productions broadcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at penfed.org/savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.